and starting at verse 1. There we read, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together, shall we, before we uh, consider this together. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, time now to uh, study and open up your word and uh, think about what you're saying to us. Um, We thank you for uh, that you are the God who speaks to us, but we pray, Lord God, that you would work within us so that we are people who listen to you, we hear from you. So, Lord God, we ask for your work of your Holy Spirit this morning in my speaking uh, and in our listening and in our lives, Lord, that we might apply what you've said to us today. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to mention just before... uh, Kids, young people, there are some kid sheets today. Um, there were some coloring in ones for little ones and some uh, worksheets to go along with the sermon. Um, so if you didn't grab one on your way in, they're on the table out the back and you can uh, quickly jump up and grab one now. Now I wonder this morning if you've ever been uh, fallen foul of false advertising. Has that ever happened to you? You thought you were getting one thing and you actually got another? Uh, Maybe it was that new McDonald's burger that looked so uh, juicy and large on the advertising. And then you realize they must have used the hands of a four-year-old to advertise it because when you get it, it's actually quite tiny. (laughs) Or that time that you fell for the false advertising with the ab machine, it promised five minutes a day, six weeks, you would have rock-hard abs and a flat stomach. You did it five minutes a day for six weeks, and yet nothing actually happened. There's actually a very uh, sort of infamous case of false advertising. It took place in a restaurant chain in the United States. All of the wait staff were told that they were entering into a competition for a Toyota. This competition went on for a number of weeks, and then the winner was announced, and she was handed a Toyota. She sued them. She got a real car in the end, but it was a case of false advertising. Christmas time is a time when many of us suffer from false advertising. We're led a little bit up the garden path. Maybe that happens to do with some of our Christmas cards that we receive. We're expecting Christmas to be cold, uh, to have snow and fireplaces and roast turkey. And then Christmas Day turns out to be 35 degrees and a sausage on the barbecue and your ice melts very quickly even in your drink. Or maybe it's that Christmas Day presents itself to be a day of wonderful relaxation and great uh, family harmony, uh, time to unwind and relax and a day for joy and peace. And then it gets there and you're already frazzled and you're running around from one thing to the next. And it's not until a couple of days after that you actually relax. But I want to suggest this morning that that there is even a bigger case, a worse case of false advertising when it comes to Christmas. Worse than expecting snow, worse than expecting a day of relaxation, 
there is some serious false advertising around Jesus. You see, when it comes to Christmas, Jesus is so often presented as just a cute, cuddly little baby. We get a very clean, sanitized version of who Jesus is and how he came into this world. Mary and Joseph look charming, delightful. The wise men are very serious looking. The shepherds are handsome, upstanding young men. Star shines brightly. A cute baby lies in a manger. And it's all so nice. But I want to suggest this morning that it's false advertising. Not because it's not true, but because it's not enough. There is more going on than just a little baby and angels and shepherds. And when we open up John's gospel, John gives us a bigger and a fuller picture. When it comes to the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is always the odd man out. He's a little bit awkward. He's a bit different. If Matthew, Mark, and Luke are news reports, they're like Channel 7, Channel 9, and Channel 10. They present the same information from slightly different angles, but it's pretty similar. John is SBS News in Swahili. Uh, He just has a different take on things. Not that he's saying that everything else is wrong, but he's just looking at it from a different angle. And so when we open up the Gospel of John and we read about the Christmas story, he doesn't have any room for mangers and angels and shepherds. He's got no room for a census. He's got no room for no room at the inn. John wants to take us behind the scenes, behind the pictures, and to show us that there is something deeper and greater going on at Christmas time than just a baby. He wants us to show us that this is the event of history, the event of eternal, cosmic, divine proportions, that in Jesus, God is doing something spectacular. And so over the next three weeks, today, Christmas Day, and even the 1st of January, we want to unpack this first 18 verses from the Gospel of John. And we want to see behind the scenes about what's going on at Christmas. And today we want to start with just the first five verses and to see what John is telling us about this baby who is to be born. What is he telling us about Jesus? And I want to highlight this morning three things that he says about Jesus. And the first thing that he tells us is that Jesus is God. Have a look there at verses one. Uh, at verse one, it says, "In the beginning was the Word." Now that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like something else that we might have heard before. It does, doesn't it? And it's deliberately done. It sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, it says. And now John says, in the beginning was the Word. 
John is taking us all the way back to the time before creation. And he's telling us that in the beginning, before creation, was the Word. Now, why is he doing that? Because our understanding from Genesis chapter 1, that before creation, all there was was God. Is he saying that the Word and God are one? Well, not quite. Look at how he continues. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's saying that there was God, and there was the Word. There was something there with God, something or someone there with God before creation. Does that mean that there's, there's something created before the rest of the world? Does that mean there's, there's something else that exists between God and creation? Well, no, he continues. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, firstly, we need to address a little question here. Why is John referring to Jesus as the Word? A little later on, he's going to tell us that the Word became flesh, so we know that he's talking about Jesus. Now, why Why is he referring to him as the Word? There's lots of explanations for this, but I reckon that the one that probably makes the most sense, the one that seems to have the most credibility, is that John is using a phrase here in the Word, which both Jewish readers and non-Jewish readers, Gentile or Greek readers, had some, some understanding of, but yet didn't completely turn them off. You see, in Jewish thought, the, the Word often was a personification of the power of God. Okay, so if you read through the Old Testament, there's times where it talks about the Word. So Psalm 33, verse 6, uh, By the Word, the world was created. The power of God. And in Greek thought, there was the word, which was sort of a, some, a mediator between the divine and creation. Something that existed between the divine, God, whatever that was, and everything that was created. Something that existed or bridged the gap between the two. So he's, he's using a phrase that was common, that had some understanding, but yet wouldn't turn people completely off. You see, if John had started his letter by saying, in the beginning was the Son of God, and the Son of God was with God, and the Son of God was God, he would have a whole lot of people very quickly turning off from, from listening to him. So he's using a, a phrase, the word, which people would go, yeah, okay, I, I sort of get that. But then he's going to expand on it and make it even bigger. And when he's doing that, he's telling us something really, really important about Jesus. He's introducing an idea that God exists in Trinity. That there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Jesus exists uh, in the Godhead with God. This is not saying that there are three different gods. He's not saying there is God with three different hats on. He is saying there is one God, and within the God here, there are three persons. And the most important thing that John wants us to know here is that Jesus, who is born, is God. He's not demigod, half God, sort of God, sometimes God. He's not just God with a different 
hat on. He is God himself. The second thing that he wants to tell us then, the second thing that we learn about Jesus, is that he is not only God, but he is the creator. Have a look down there at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Again, it takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This word, this Jesus, is the creator of everything. He's not the first thing created through whom then God creates everything else. He is the creator of everything that there is. There is nothing in this world that doesn't belong to him. He is the one who is distinct and different from all of creation. He is the one who reigns above, who is sovereign over, who is distinct from everything else that is created. Everything in this world owes its origin to him. Everything in this world belongs to him and owes its allegiance to him, its creator. He comes not as a foreigner into a world which is distant from him. He comes as its rightful creator and owner. He comes to his own world. And the third thing that he tells us about Jesus is he is the restorer of everything. He's God. He is creator. He is restorer of everything. Look at what it says there in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, John's going to make a a big distinction between light and darkness. He's going to make the, the call that Jesus is light. Jesus is the bringer of light. Jesus is the source of light. To know light, to have life, to light, to receive light, is to be in relationship with God. Jesus is telling us here, the word it's telling us, is not just the creator of physical life. He is the source of spiritual life. He is the one who, who enables people to have relationship with God, the Father, with the Godhead. He is the one that enables Everything good and godly in this world. He has always been the one that is the source of everything that is good in this world. He's always been the one who is the source of everything that relates to God in this world. And as dark as this world is, and as dark as it can get, he says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come as light, relationship with God, and he has come to bring light, to bring relationship with God. He has come to conquer darkness. Now, when I moved to Geelong, uh, not the second time, but the first time in the 90s, um, I saw a guy in town And a little later on, I got to meet him, and then I even got to have dinner with him one time, who looked like a homeless guy, looked like a bit of a hobo. His name was Gary. He wandered around town. Uh, He had this big overcoat on. He shuffled his feet. He had hunched over shoulders. He had sort of these daggy hair bits at the back, but it was 1994, and so that was kind of in there at the time. 
But you saw him wandering around town and you thought, here's this homeless guy. Then one day, somebody pointed out to me that his name was Gary Ablett. Uh, Not the Gary Ablett we know today, but his father, who also happened to be a pretty good footballer. I tell you, when you knew who he was, you looked at him a fair bit different. I bet you when people knew who he was, even though sometimes he looked it, no one treated him as homeless. Christmas is a time when we can get a certain understanding of who Jesus is. This kind of cute, cuddly little baby. I mean, he's interesting as a baby, isn't he? He's fascinating. You read about his birth, you read about prophecies about his birth, you read about angels, you read about a star that guides people, the the incredible visitors that he gets to, to, to to his stable, to where he was born. That's an interesting, that's, that's someone worth taking note of. But as a cute, cuddly little baby, he's also very easy to sideline. He's also very easy to write off as distant from the rest of life. He might be nice to study and to look at and to celebrate his birth, but he's not one to respond to. What is John doing as he pulls back the curtain and he shows us behind the scene? He says, here is more than a baby. Here is more than a cute story. Here is God himself, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the one who brings light into this world. Here is the great, incredible paradox of Christmas. God has become man. The creator has become the created. Light has now stepped into darkness. And so when Jesus speaks, he brings the very word of God. A word that can't be ignored, a word that can't be brushed aside, but a word that is powerful and it makes stuff happen. A word that is to be listened to and absorbed and obeyed. When Jesus works, he does the very works of God. It is God himself acting powerfully in our world. Not a work that can be sidelined, but a work that is to be observed. A work that is to be considered. And a work that is to be responded to. He is giving us a big view of who Jesus is. A view that he is God himself come to earth. That he is God himself come to do something about the state of darkness in this world. At the same time, he's giving us that big view of Jesus. He's giving us a bigger view of how Dark, darkness is. You and I, we get that understanding from time to time, don't we? Just how dark our world can be. If we follow the story of Aleppo at the moment, we get a little glimpse of how dark our world is. We experience illness. We might experience a death in the family. We might hear about the suffering of others. 
we get, it, we get a glimpse. Sometimes we get that glimpse when we look, we look at our own lives and we, we see what lurks beneath the surface and how selfish and self-centered, how horrible our motives can be. Well, John's giving us another glimpse of how dark the darkness is by showing us what it's going to take to overcome it. It's not just a little bit dark. It's pitch black because it needs God himself to step in. It needs God himself to come to earth. It needs the creator to come and restore what is broken. It's not going to be fixed by self-improvement. It's not going to improve by putting more effort in. No government program, no aid program is going to bring it about. It's so dark that it's going to require God himself to come and do something about it. And that is the wonderful news that we have to celebrate and remember at Christmas time. That he has done it in Jesus. He is doing it in Jesus. How great is God's love for us that he would take this step to bring light into the darkness, to restore his creation back to himself. How incredibly incredible is the humility of Jesus that he would willingly take on, take on a human nature for all eternity, for us, to restore us back to himself. How incredible is the sacrifice that Jesus has willingly made for his creation to restore us and to bring us back to God. That he would come, he would live, and he would die for us. That's the news that my heart needs to hear at Christmas time. That's the story I need to dwell on and remember over and over again. That's the story that my heart needs to turn its focus and its attention back to God, to his work and to his love. Many of us are very busy at this time of year, aren't we? We're so distracted. Maybe it's because we're spiritually slack. Maybe it's because there's just so much going on. Maybe it's we already have that Christmas fatigue. We're just already over it. You know, it's, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to be busy at Christmas time. Sometimes it's, it's just the way it is. We shouldn't feel guilty about enjoying the family time and the presents and the good food and the holidays at Christmas time. These are, these are wonderful gifts from God. But what we need is to remember why we do it and what we remember and what we celebrate at this time. What we need is our hearts to find rest in God, our hearts to find joy in Christ and his work. Our lives to be renewed and refreshed that God has come.
God has come to bring light to the darkness. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Lord, we thank you for uh, the wonderful story, uh, the wonderful news of Christmas. We thank you for a baby born. We thank you for angels pronouncing the good news. We thank you for the worship of shepherds and wise men. But we thank you most of all that the word has become flesh. That you have come to us. You have come to restore us and to bring us back. We ask, Lord God, that in, in the busyness, in the complexity, in all the things that are going on, that this is the story we would hang on. This would be our true source of joy. That this news would refresh us and give us rest. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.